Well, if you brought your Bible, do you mind taking it out to 2 Timothy? And if you didn't bring a Bible, we say this every week, but uh, we have, should have some black Bibles nearby that say NIV. If you pull them out, it's on page 832 where we're going to be. We're going to look at 2 Timothy. And while you're turning there, by the way, if you're getting used to 2 Timothy, it's in the last, I think, like 40 pages of your Bible if you're trying to narrow it down. Um, while you're turning there, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series called Endure. Uh, when I was on sabbatical this summer, I talked about that the first Sunday I was back, that we sense that God wants us to get ready uh, for times of testing that may come to our nation, that may come to our church, that may come to our homes, our families, our own personal lives. And so we've been trying to answer the question, how can we get ready? And a year ago, we planned uh, this series in 2 Timothy and had no idea how, you know, just uh, perfectly timed it would be. But this letter is written by an older a leader named Paul to a younger leader about 30 years younger named Timothy, who also is a pastor, and he's talking to him about how he can remain uh, steadfast and endure, even though Paul, the guy writing this letter, is about to die. And that shakes up Timothy's world big time. And so we're going to look at what he says today in chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. And the message is entitled, Strong in His Grace. Now, here's the thing I want to just ask you. Do you ever think about that if we actually do go through some, some of the severe times of testing that could happen to us like happen in other countries or to other people, do you ever, when you're like away from this building, you just have time to think, do you ever find yourself saying, I wonder if I'll be strong enough to go through that? Uh, you, you probably don't know this, but when I was a kid, uh, I, uh, whenever I got hurt, I tried to milk it for all it was worth and, uh, you know, 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. And my family would just go, oh, brother, you know. And, and, I, and they would say to me, they would say, what a low threshold of pain you have. And they, they were right. And so I, uh, this is Jeff, low threshold guy, asking God, you know, would I be strong enough to go through something like that? Because I, I don't know about you, I'm not a super Christian. And sometimes when I read about some of these people, I just go, wow, like, Wow. Now, if you're following along the notes, here's what I want you to see. We all wonder. I mean, some of you are nodding with me. We all wonder if we'll be strong enough in times of testing. It's just normal to wonder that. And so the question is, how can we know whether or not we will? Is there any way to know? We all wonder if we'll be strong enough in times of testing. Here's what I want you to see in this passage that we're going to look at today. In this passage, Paul reminds Timothy of the secret of enduring with Christ. Paul reminds Timothy of the secret of enduring with Christ. And here's, here's when, when he says in verse 1, you then, my son, notice the warmth of affection they have towards each other, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And most of us would go, all right, uh, go ahead, Paul, and expand on that. But he doesn't expand that much on that as far as here's three steps of how to do that. Because we, I believe that he already had taught Timothy how to do this in the past, and he just needed to be reminded. But that doesn't help us a lot, because we like say, well, like, how do we do it? So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about what is this grace he's talking about? What's grace? Second, I want to talk about how do we be strong in it? And I want to talk about how did God teach Paul that so he could teach Timothy? And what would it look like in your life, in my life, if we actually walk out of here and begin practicing being strong in grace so that we can be ready for whatever may come our way, that we might know what this grace to face anything is. 
So I want to talk to you about that before we do. You mind if I pray? And then we'll just ask God to be our teacher. Lord, what a difference. What a difference when you're our teacher. And I pray that somehow you would use uh, the way that I teach to be helpful to people. And I pray that if you want to say something completely different that I'm saying to people, go ahead, Lord, but please be our teacher today. And I pray that I can help people in your name. Amen. All right, so what is this grace that is in Christ Jesus? I want to ask you to read verse 1 that it's listed in the gray box there, the first verse. Then I'll read the other six verses. But what I want to, I think I've told you this a number of times before. Whenever I get ready to speak or teach, almost always what I do is I'll take those verses that, that I'm supposed to be teaching on, I'll write them out in my own hand, and then when I go walking, I'll carry them with me, and for the first few days, I'll just, I'll just say them over and over again. Say, Lord, you know I'm going to do the necessary study for the background. You know I'm going to see what I'm supposed to see as far as the study time. But for right now, help me to soak in these verses long enough that you can show me what you want me to understand first in my own life so I can talk to other people about it. And so as I was doing that this last week, I really sensed that he wanted me to talk about verse 1 in part of that answer of how can we get ready, how can we be ready, uh, what can we learn so we can be ready for whatever comes our way, okay? So I'm really going to focus on verse 1 and only talk about the other six verses briefly, but let's uh, read the first verse together, and I would be tickled pink if you walk out of here thinking about that verse even this afternoon, okay? So let's read it together. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'll go on, verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see that? That's four generations right there. Paul, Timothy, the people that he will teach, the reliable people he'll build into, who will also then turn around and teach others. Okay? Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Sometimes, friends, I've talked to Christians that go, I don't like this military language in the Scripture. And all I want to say to you is there's one other place where Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he goes in to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark, evil world. In other words, we're not just up against what we can see. When we become followers of Jesus, we have an enemy that we need to understand. There's other things going on that we can always understand. So we need to be strong in a different way than we've normally understood, okay? Verse four, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. It doesn't mean they don't care about civilian affairs. It says they don't get entangled in them, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. That's his first priority. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Most people think that this inspiring picture here of an Olympic athlete is what Paul's referring to. He's in Rome, so he already is surrounded by a soldier every day, and he's also thinking about this athlete, this Olympic athlete. And they all knew that in order to compete in the Olympic Games, you had to sign an agreement that you would train very hard for 10 months before you ever competed. And if you weren't willing to do that, then you weren't allowed to, to compete. Some of you have seen how the Boston Marathon or New York Marathon, every once in a while you'll read a story of someone that took a cab part of the way and then finished earlier. Have you ever seen that? What he's saying is, no one that's a legitimate athlete is going to do that, all right? The third picture here is of the farmer. He says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. 
Again, I told you I'm going to mainly speak about verse 1. Let me just say this about those three images of soldier, athlete, and farmer. As I've been reflecting on that this week, here's what I've noticed. All three of those have to delay gratification in order for something more valuable down the road. They have to give themselves. They have to pay a price. They have to persevere. They have to suffer, in some cases, a certain amount of discipline and pain in order to see what's waiting at the end of the race. And what he's saying is, Timothy, just as those images inspire us in our culture, let those also remind you that just as followers of Christ, they can be inspiring to us as we please our commanding officer, as we run the race we need to run, as we plant every day faithfully, even when it's hard, because we know that God has promised us that there is something greater waiting for us in the future. Now, that's powerful to me. And he also says, by the way, even though I'm about to die, I want to remind you, keep passing on what I told you like a baton so that the next generation and other people can know about this. Even if they persecute us, keep passing it on because God is going to keep moving forward even if something happens to us. Powerful. Now, let me come back to this. What I want to do is just talk to you about verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is this grace? In my notes, out to the right in that white spot there, I just write these, I have these two words, kindness and favor. Kindness and favor. If you were to ask me just, again, just a simple way, grace means something, just uh, uh, something kind that someone does. It's favor that's given to us, okay? And um, again, there's a lot more meaning than, than to that. Now, one of the difficult things, Steve, last week, when he was talking about the gospel, do you remember in verse 9, if you look back there in chapter 1, you'll see that the gospel is the gospel of grace. Twice it mentions grace already. So Steve was trying to, to explain some of that briefly. Now, here's the thing. Steve said to me this week, and I totally agree, what's so hard about talking about grace is it's more than one thing. It's like if you look at a diamond, at first you just think this, it's one thing, but it's got all these facets. And as you hold it up in the light, you start to realize, oh my goodness, there's so much more to this than I first thought. In a similar way, grace is like that. But let me just tell you some of the things that have been valuable to me as I've been thinking about grace. So here they are. First thing, if you're following along, grace is receiving from God what we don't deserve. In other words, this kindness or favor, this goodness that God gives us, that we receive, we don't deserve. He gives us something we don't deserve. Now, um, I hope, is that a phone there or something? Okay, just checking. Okay, anyway, uh, so here's what I want to ask you. Has anybody ever explained to you the meaning of justice, mercy, and grace? Okay, if you look up here on the screen, just talk about this briefly. Justice is getting what I deserve. When people say, I want justice, what they mean is I want that person to get what they deserve. Okay, it's just not, you know, um, and the Bible says God is a God of justice, that even if right now it does not appear that justice is being served, God will ultimately bring about justice. Notice also, though, that mercy is getting less than we deserve, okay? So if you uh, plead mercy on the court, you're, you're basically saying, please don't give me all that I deserve. Please give me less than I deserve. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Now, I don't want to push this too far because you'll notice even in some of the songs we sang that sometimes when the Bible talks about mercy or mercies, it's also talking about the compassion, the goodness of God. And so between the 
grace and mercy, which by the way, in verse two are the first couple things Paul greets people with in this letter. Oh my goodness, has God been good to us? But he's given us what we don't deserve. Sometimes nowadays I can tell that when people are angry at God, it's because they believe God owes them grace. God owes me mercy. I deserve it. And I can always tell that they're going to be hung up probably the rest of their life till they get that fixed. Because until we realize that everything we have, we don't deserve. It's, 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 an, it's an unbelievably hard way to live. And nowadays, you'll hear a lot of people say, I deserve this, I work hard, all this kind of stuff. But we don't realize if you trace it all the way back, that's actually not the whole story. Here's the thing. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that although God made us in his image, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. We also have not lived out the purpose that he had for us. And it's not just an oops thing. This is a rebellious thing. This is a apathetic thing. This is, I'm going to do my own thing. I'll tell you, even the most, the nicest person you've ever met, if you get to know them better, underneath all that, you'll find out that they can be willful and selfish as anybody else, okay? The Bible says all of us are in the same boat. And therefore, according to Ephesians 2, we are by nature deserving of God's wrath, God's anger, God's separation from God. Yeah, I don't know if you thought about this. If God's the most important person in the universe and you commit a crime against him, that's the highest crime you can commit. <laughs> it's high treason. But we've dumbed that down and we've made that less nowadays. But when you and I understand what we deserve, so the Bible says we don't deserve what we think we deserve sometimes because we have sinned against God. All of us have. But here's the thing. God the God of justice also wanted to be the God of mercy and grace to us. So here's what Romans 5.8 says. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet living a lifestyle of running our own show, Christ died for us. This is how we know what love is, the Bible says. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He gave us what none of us deserve. Amazing. Uh, this week I was talking with someone and saying, you know, when you think about grace, what do you think? And they said, you know, some days I wake up and I still can't get over how much God loves me. And, and they said, I forget sometimes, but when I remember, and then I think, I zero deserve that. I love that phrase. I've been thinking about that ever since. I zero deserve that. And when you and I understand that we zero deserve that, oh my goodness, then, then we're amazed. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, that kindness and favor. And he did it in Jesus Christ. One thing I will say too, this takes away any room for boasting. Whenever you and I are really struck by grace, we begin to realize that not just forgiveness and not just Jesus dying for us, but anything I have then is a gift. Anything I have, including my talents or my abilities or what I've accomplished, it's a gift. It's amazing. Second thing is that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. When I was in Sunday school years ago, a teacher taught me that acrostic. I've got it there horizontally in your notes, but if you take it vertically here, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. When he says the grace that is in Christ Jesus, what that means is, look, when you put your trust in Christ Jesus, you get the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as you give your life to Jesus and let your life be in him, all this stuff comes with it. 
One of the, I said before that's hard about grace is it's more than just one thing, okay? And when we talk about the riches in Christ Jesus at his expense, next you know, year in 2015, in March, we're going to actually be studying the letter to the Ephesians. And Ephesians 1.7 and Ephesians 2.7, it uses this phrase, the riches of his grace. As if to say, look, don't, don't try and just reduce grace to one thing. It's so many things. Have you ever heard of a Russian doll? I told the last service that I feel kind of funny being a man that owns a doll, but I have a doll here. And this was given to me years ago by a family in our church who uh, was adopting a Russian girl. And so to celebrate, they said, we'd like to give you one of these just to remind you of the joy in our lives. And uh, it's made out of wood. It's been carved. And I know you can't see it from where most of you are sitting. Uh, but have you ever seen what happens when you open one of these? There's another doll inside. Have you seen that? So to help you, here's a picture of what my doll looks like. There you go. And you can see the top's off. And then there's the second doll. Do you know what happens if you open that doll? There's another one inside. Have you ever seen how this goes? Here's what it looks like when it's all... Okay? Now, here's what I want to tell you. The grace that is in Jesus is the ultimate Russian doll. And when you get Jesus, oh my goodness, do you get a gift that keeps on giving. He is such a giver. He is so gracious. And so you may say, like what? Like what? What do you mean? Well, again, we'll talk more about this in Ephesians, but just real quick, let me say, we're forgiven. Our past record can be forgiven and cleansed. Our consciences can become clean again, like we saw a few weeks ago. We have a past that we can't change or undo, but he can redeem it. He not only does that, he not only puts up with us and says, okay, I'll let you off, but he also says, I want to adopt you. I don't just want to forgive you. I want you to be part of my family now. And all the benefits that come by being part of my family are yours. Along with that, he says, I want to also give you a purpose in life not just so you'll go to church on Sunday mornings, but so that every day of your life you'll see that you're here for a purpose to serve and glorify me and build into other people. And so he gives us uh, this promise that what I started in your life, I'm going to finish this sanctifying process of making us more like Jesus. He gives us the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, that in itself, the same Holy Spirit that lived inside Jesus now lives inside of us if we trust Christ. And the Holy Spirit never comes empty-handed. The Bible calls him the Spirit of grace, and he not only creates more of a gracious spirit in us, but he brings, the Bible says, spiritual gifts. Over 500 people have taken the network class in our church, and many people are operating more according to these gifts, these abilities to minister to other people and serve in his name. Unbelievable. What a, what a different way to look at life. And then eternal life, which does include heaven, but it also begins now. It's a quality of life that we can have with Jesus every day, no matter where we live, no matter what we face. And the last, thing, last couple of things I'll just tell you quick is he gives us his word and helps us begin to understand it. And it begins to transform our mind and makes us wise and can encourage us when we get confused and can guide us and show us who God is in a world that lies about him. And also, he gives us the church. He gives us other believers. Have you ever experienced the grace of another Christian in your life? Yesterday, I was sitting at the men's breakfast, and we were just talking openly about how much we still have to learn how much we still sometimes cave into temptation or get off track. And it was so powerful for me to see how God's grace made us feel safe enough we could be honest. 
And you and I can grow in grace. It's the soil of God's acceptance in our life for now we can go a different direction. God's riches at Christ's expense. Praise his name. The resources that help us live the Christian life. The third thing is that grace is God's power working in us to obey. Grace is invisible, a lot like electricity, but God's grace is actually his strength, his energy, his power that works on the inside of us to actually bring about obedience. Now, again, there's so much confusion on grace nowadays, and we saw that Jesus is full of grace and truth. We all need to always remember that, but here's what I want to say. When grace is working in your life, grace, God always gives us grace so we'll obey in order to help us obey. And when we disobey, he gives us grace. But he never gives us grace, so we'll disobey. Huge difference. And nowadays, I just hear so much sloppiness being accepted about grace. I mean, I run into believers that for years, they just keep cussing, and they don't even feel bad about it. And they just go, well, you know, that's just who I am. You know, I'm under grace. Wait a second. Like Steve said last night, we've been called to a holy life, his grace can change our minds about that. Where now we use our mouths. You guys don't know this about me. But when I, before I came to know Christ, I had a foul mouth. I don't just mean that I could cuss with the rest of them. I mean that my mouth tore people down every day. I got joy out of cutting people down and being funny at other people's expense. And when God showed me his grace, he began to say, from now on, no unwholesome talk. Don't keep letting that stuff spill over your mouth. Grace can work something different in you, Jeff. And I began to see. Now, does that mean I never say something? Even this last week I did that. But I'm different now because his grace is working in my life. I'm not done, but I'm different. You know what I'm saying? And grace is that power to obey. And so the Bible says that some people turn grace into a license for immorality. They go, good, man, now I can just swan dive into the cesspool of sin anytime I want. No, that's not what grace is about. Grace is the power working in us to obey and glorify Jesus. Next, notice that grace is like manna. God provides it daily. I love this picture here. If someone were to ask me what I tend to think about whenever I think about grace, I think of this Old Testament story from Exodus 16. So we can put it up here on the screen. If you look there, you'll see that what God did is that he you know, led the people of Israel out of Egypt, set them free, brought them into the promised land, but there was that 40-year period between while they were in the wilderness. Now, think about this. The Old Testament tells us that there were 600,000 fighting men, 20 and older, in the census, which that means how many children and women were there left? At least the same number, if not two or three or four times more. So most scholars believe that this group that was marching around the wilderness was two to three million people plus their animals. So there weren't any Hardee's or McDonald's nearby. And even if there were, have any of you ever been to conferences where like 50,000 people have to eat in an hour and a half? Watch that go down. Now, God says, I am going to take care of you in the wilderness. Watch how I do this. So he says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Okay? On the sixth day, because of the Sabbath, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now, look at what it says in verse 31 about 
this food, this bread. The Israelites named this bread from heaven manna, which in Hebrew, by the way, is just a question. What is it? Can you imagine that? They're eating this. Thing. What is it? And that became the name of it, manna. It looked like coriander seed, whitish, and it tasted like cracker with honey. Now, every morning, as the dew lifted, there would be these white flakes on the ground. A lot of it. Enough for two or three million people to have a meal, enough food to eat every day. God provided it, but he had them gather it. And that meant that every day they had to walk out and see his faithfulness before them, but they also had to take it into their lives. And some people ask me, how come some people just never really seem to grow in their, their life with Jesus? I would just say it's because they don't gather what God has already made available. They don't take it into their lives. They just stay baby Christians. God wants to teach us how to grow in grace and to be strong in grace, but he gives us a part to play. And so he provides it, but he wants us to take it in. Now, I want to just stop here before I talk to you about how to be strong in grace and say this. I'm conscious that there's probably two groups of people in this room. Some of us here, we're pretty confident people and we're go-getters. If we say, here's the challenge, some of us will just go, just show me the hill. I'll take that hill, okay? That's probably how the Apostle Paul was. When you read his life beforehand, he was an unbelievable, zealous religious person before he met Jesus. No confidence problem at all, okay? But he's writing to this younger guy named Timothy, and most scholars say that there's hints in this letter that Timothy was not made of the same temperament as Paul, that he was on the other end of the spectrum and that his nickname could have been Timidity instead of Timothy. That's why verse 7, Paul writes, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Remember that, Timothy. He's given you a different spirit of power, love, and sound mind, some of his riches and grace. And therefore, you don't have to be timid when you think about how you do the life. You can actually, God can make you more courageous. So they were coming from different angles. But both of them had to learn how to be strong in grace. So you know what that meant for the Apostle Paul? He had to unlearn the way he was used to being strong. And for Timothy, it meant that Timothy had to learn to be strong in a way he had never been strong before. And how does that happen? If you're following along, here's what I want us to see. How do we be strong in his grace? Answer, by depending on him and not ourselves. By depending on Jesus and not ourselves. And in my notes, I've actually put the word by consciously depending on him and not ourselves. Next line, if you follow, you'll see that God taught Paul this secret again and again. God had to teach Paul this secret, and he'll have to teach that secret to you and me as well. We are not going to get it the first time. I guarantee you, just because, you know, we all had this message today, <laughs> we're going to have to learn this day in, day out. I'm going to have to learn this this afternoon. I'll have to keep learning it. So will you if you want to learn how to be strong in his grace. But here's the good news. He's a great teacher, and he has incredible patience, and he is a gracious God. And he is committed to helping us if we're interested. So here's what, here's what he taught him. I, 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 he taught him in 2 Corinthians 12, we can see one of the times that God taught Paul how to be strong in grace. Okay? So I'm going to put this up here on the screen, and I want to say something before we read the actual verses. I don't know how much you know about the New Testament, but Paul had been appointed an apostle, and after he started different churches, 
many of those churches had the same problems that every church has, including ours. Sometimes there were different people that would get in disagreement. Sometimes there were people that would like jockey for position to see who was more important. But these people that were in the Corinthian church now were challenging Paul and saying he's not a real apostle. And they came in and said, we've had all these spiritual mountaintop experiences. We've had these visions and revelations. We're super apostles. Paul, he's just so-so. We're not even sure he's an apostle. He says he is, but we don't. And it undercut his authority, even though he'd started the church. So when he'd go to say something to them, they were doubting his credibility. So he has to write this letter, and he's in a real difficult position, because how do you defend yourself without sounding like you're bragging? So Paul, in the first six verses, says, okay, since these super apostles are boasting about the revelations, it's not that I can't do that, but I'm uncomfortable doing that. So he says, I know a man, and he's talking in third person now, but he's talking about himself, who was caught up to the third heaven. And what he saw there and what he was permitted to experience there, he, he can't even say. And whether he was in the body or out of the body, not sure. He says, I actually had an incredible experience, which, you know, he doesn't say it, but he said, that should pretty much trump anything these other guys say right there. But notice what he says in verse 7, because here's what I want you to see. He said, it's one thing to have those incredible mountaintop experiences and revelations, but actually God taught me something more powerful than the revelation I got from a third heaven. It was through a thorn. Look what it says. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. What was the thorn? He doesn't say. But the picture here is not just a tiny little thorn that pricks us, but something that nailed him to the floor. A messenger of Satan to harass me. In other words, God permitted it, but Satan used it to harass him. To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He doesn't mean three times for five minutes. He means three distinct seasons of desperate prayer. I asked the Lord, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, that he would take it away. But he said to me, I want you to read these next two sentences with me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, this is a paradox now, he says, that's when I'm really strong in the right kind of strength. If you're following along, God not only taught Paul this secret again and again, but what Paul says is, this is what I learned from the thorn, is that we can't be strong in grace until we're weak and we know it. We can't be strong in grace until we're weak and know it. As I think about some of the lessons that God's had to teach me, how I've had to unlearn being strong in my own power and my own personality, oh my goodness, friends, I am a person that's way more proud than I ever thought I was. And so God began to show me in high school that what I needed to do was to not lean on my own understanding. Doesn't mean that I don't use my brain, but not to ultimately lean on my own understanding. But in all my ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct my paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And so what does that mean? And he showed me that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in due time he may lift you up, so grace can flow through your life. What he's saying is, just like I set it up with manna, where I could have delivered all 40 years in one fell swoop, I'm that great. 
I set it up so that every day you would learn how to trust in me and do life with me and depend on me and acknowledge me so we would do it together rather than you just being strong. And many of us divide our lives up into times we need God and times we don't think we do. And God wants to say, I want you to consciously depend on me on either one. I want to teach you. So again, as a pastor, after doing this 30 years, it's not that I can't do some things with some experience, but he's teaching me to be childlike and say, okay, God, on this day, I don't know exactly all that's going to happen, but as I come to each thing, would you teach me how to do it with you? And I don't always get that right, and sometimes I forget that. But I remember when Christ came in my life, right before my senior year in high school, I remember saying to him every day, Lord, again, not knowing what's going to happen, I want to give myself to you this morning. I want you to show me how to lean on you and do it with you. And I may not be able to see how your grace is working through me, but let me glorify you. Let me honor you. Let me serve you. Let me obey you today because I've spent enough time disobeying you, enough time doing my own thing, please. And when I get off base, I'll need grace for that too, but help me to run back towards you. Years ago, I heard John Ortberg that says in the parable of the prodigal son, when he gets far off in the far off country and he's starting to think about coming back to his father, he wonders if he's gone too far. Some of you wonder if God has enough grace for you. He does. And John R. Berg said that grace will always lead you back to the Father. It always will. And so his grace can work in us. Have you ever noticed, too, that people that are humbled by grace and let grace work in their life become more gracious? They become more humble. They become more honest about who they really are rather than have them fake it. It's just a beautiful thing what grace can do. So grace doesn't mean, if you're following along, that we don't work hard. It doesn't mean no effort. Grace doesn't mean we don't work hard. It means no effort. Remember Dallas Willard says, grace does not oppose effort. It opposes earning. So the Apostle Paul says in those verses I've listed out to the right, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I worked harder than all the other apostles in one sense, but not me, the grace of God that was working in me. He says, I give myself so completely with the energy that God's working in me, the grace that God's working in me. I give myself to that. So again, you're not going to be one of those people that, you know, wake up if you're going to be strong in grace and go, okay, Lord, I'm just going to sit here in a nice, comfortable chair. And would you just like do your work? He says, I want to do my work through you, in you, with you. But I'm asking you to give yourself fully to that. And if you've seen people that are doing that, it is a powerful, beautiful thing. Now, how many of you have heard of this lady before? I'll put her picture up on the screen. Do we have it right near there? Yeah. Do some of you recognize this lady? You may not. Don't feel bad if you don't. But who is this lady? Corey Tenboom. This lady lived in Holland, and her family hid... Jewish people during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And the Gestapo eventually found out one of their neighbors uh, told on them, turned them over. The Gestapo arrested them. And she and her sister um, were taken to a concentration camp and, um, in 1944. And her sister, because of the brutal treatment and the starvation, died there. This lady writes a book called The Hiding Place. I highly recommend this book. There's two stories I want to tell you that have helped me learn how to be strong in grace. The first one is that when she was a little girl, 
Her dad was a watchmaker, but they lived in this neighborhood. And in those days, when someone died, you had the wake in the home where the loved one was kept there. So their neighbor had a tragic thing happen. A little infant girl died. And so her mother went to take food, and she took the little two girls with her, and they stood at the threshold. But her sister, Nolly, wandered in and touched the little girl's hand just out of curiosity. And so Corey saw that, and even though she was more timid, she did the same thing. And when she did, it sent a terrifying chill through her heart. She suddenly realized death is real. So they went home. She didn't eat supper. She went up into her bedroom with Nolly. They just lay there until they knew their dad would come every night and tuck them into bed and pray with them. So when her dad came up the stairs, she threw back the covers and said, Daddy, Daddy, you can't die. You and Mommy can't die. And Nolly looked at him and said, We've been to the Hoog house and you know, saw the little girl there. And so he understood. So he sat down on her bed and he said, Corey, when you and I take the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? And she's sniffling. And she said, just before we get on the train. He said, that's right, Corey. Trust your heavenly father. Don't run out ahead of him. If the day should come where your mom or I or you should die, God knows exactly what you need. And at that moment, you will be able to look in your heart and find exactly what you need to face that moment. Friends, God's grace is so amazing. How many of us are here today? Because that's our testimony. We couldn't see it. We thought he should have given us way out of advance. We didn't know how he was going to do it. But somehow he met us at every turn. Now, that would have been one thing for Corey to hear that as a girl, but she would be ultimately tested in a huge way. This single, never-married woman, along with her single, never-married sister, are in this concentration camp, and the Nazi uh, soldiers and guards were very cruel to them, and it was hard to watch, and they went through that. And she writes about the faithfulness of God in those days, too, as hard as it was. But there came a day after the war was over. She got released, by the way. Her sister died in Ravensbrück concentration camp. She got released because of a typographical error. It was a mistake. She gets out, and two years later, she is now in Germany teaching in a church on the forgiveness of God one Sunday. She said in those days, everybody was silent when they walked into a church, and everyone was silent when they left. There was just this terrible cloud over Germany after the war. And so she talked that day about the forgiveness and grace of God, how he can take our sins and throw them into the deepest sea when he forgives us. She loved that picture, being from Holland. And as she told that story, after she got done talking about the forgiveness of God, everyone got up and was leaving. But she said, against the crowd, here comes a man in a brown coat. And you know how your mind can suddenly do flashback things? She said, when he was walking before me, I suddenly saw him in a blue uniform And I suddenly remembered he was one of our guards. He starts to walk towards me, and he said, a fine message, Fräulein. It's wonderful, isn't it, that God's willing to throw our sins into the deepest sea. He said, in the last couple years, I've become a Christian, and I now understand that God and his grace has forgiven me. But I wondered if you could forgive me. And he put out his hand and asked for her forgiveness. She said, probably only seconds went by, but her heart froze. Her heart went cold. She suddenly had these flashbacks of her sister reduced 
to just bare bones and suffering and how they were mocked by these guards when they had to, you know, escorted in front of them naked and all these things, all this stuff flashed back. And she thought, just for asking this guy can be forgiven? She wrestled with God. But then she remembered that she had opened a home there in Holland for people after the war to try and help them recover. And she knew that every person that wouldn't forgive was paralyzed, but people that would forgive could move ahead. And she also realized that as much as God had forgiven her, the wretch that she was, she also needed forgiveness and that she needed to pass on that forgiveness. So she says, God, I can't do it. There's nothing in me that wants to do it. And she realized that love and forgiveness are not emotions. They're an act of the will. They're something we choose to do. She said, I can reach out my arm, but you're going to have to supply the warmth. You're going to have to supply the love. She said, as she stretched out her hand to shake this man's hand and say, I forgive you with all my heart. I forgive you. She said something powerful happened. Like an electric current went through her arm. She said, I have never experienced the love of Christ more powerfully than in that moment. I experienced grace. He experienced grace. We knew it was the Lord. Friends, we need grace every day of our life, don't we? So if you're following along, we need grace to begin, continue, and finish well with Jesus. We need grace to begin, continue, and finish well with Jesus. What would it look like if you were to walk out of here and be strong in his grace? I think it would look like this. Say, Lord, I can't see your grace. I may not have completely understood your grace, but would you keep teaching me more about your grace? Show me how not to be a self-led, proud, dependent on myself person. Show me how to depend on you and do life with you. And when I get off base, I want to run back to you. I'll need your grace then too. If I do something I need to make right, I'm going to be trusting your grace to help me do that. But as I give you myself, would you let your grace flow through my life to other people and in my own life? That could happen, friends. You and I can do that today, this afternoon, tomorrow morning. He wants to teach us this. Because if we'll do this now, we'll be ready when times of testing come. And one more line on the front of the notes, and then don't put them away because I want to tell you about it on the back of the notes. Here's a prayer you can pray as we get ready for times of testing. Lord, teach me to rely now on your grace, and I will glorify you. Lord, teach me to rely on your grace now, and I will glorify you. There's one more story I want to tell you if you turn your notes over. Some of you heard of John Newton. John Newton wrote one of the most well-known hymns. Even non-Christians love this hymn. He was at one time a captain of a slave ship, and he said by his own admission he was a profane man. He hated Christ. He opposed Christ. He mocked anybody that followed Christ. He had a hard heart, and one night he was in a ship situation where the ship was about to go down. He saw one of his friends washed out to sea, never to be found again, and he cried out to God. He said, God, I know I've been opposing you. I know you may not have anything in your heart for me, would you forgive me on the basis of what Jesus has done for me? And he received amazing grace. And that's all he could say the rest of his life about grace. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's not only amazing when you begin. It's amazing when you continue. And it is amazing when you finish. So there's two verses I like to sing, the first and the third. We could sing more, but I'm going to try and get it so we don't sing too high, okay? 
Let's sing and think about this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Now, through many dangers. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Yesterday, all I found myself doing over and over again was, thank you for your grace, thank you for your grace, thank you for your grace. You and I can do that, even this afternoon. Let's, let me pray over you. And if anyone needs prayer, don't ever be embarrassed if you need prayer or want prayer. We all need prayer. Well, we have people down front every Sunday in case you want someone to pray with you and show you that kind of grace. Lord, I ask that as people walk out of here today, that you'll teach us how to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Teach us one day at a time, and when we forget, teach us again. But Lord, thank you that your grace has brought us faith thus far. And your grace, if we've trusted in Christ, will lead us home. Amen.